Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Good to be back here again. Um, that's right, six times I was thinking that today. Um, started in February was the first time. And it's been a blessing every single time. It's good to, to get to know you folks and um, where you're located in the area. And um, so um, we've been praying as you've been praying. Um, Psalm 37, five is one of the verses we have claimed. Commit your way to the Lord. And that means really to wait on him. Remember the nation of Israel? God said to, to wait at the tabernacle, and when the cloud moves, you move. That's the idea. So commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. To trust God means that whatever God's doing, it's for our own good. And then He'll bring it to pass. So as you've been praying for a pastor, we have been praying as well um, for what God has for us. Uh, we have, you have looked at uh, many people. We have looked at a ministries. Um, but God has brought us to this point right now is that uh, we certainly feel very open to uh, as you are to the possibility of us um, taking uh, becoming an official candidate for this ministry so we appreciate your prayers and uh, appreciate you and and uh, and obviously very confident in God's leading God has a will it's not great with Christians God has a will and whatever his will, God's will be done. And, and that's what we all want. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6. Or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 6. And uh, I looked at this passage. God put it on my heart to speak. Um, one of the things I always struggle with when I'm praying, I, my, my, um, I think my approach is always to immerse myself in the text. To understand the passage well and then the struggle i always have is what direction do i want to go in um, and i leave that up to the holy spirit and i think today we're going to start at the end of the story um, and so i'm going to actually skip down to verse 16 And then we'll look at a couple passages and I'll give you a context. So we're kind of doing it backwards today, but I kind of felt led to do that today. So first 22 verse, or excuse me, first Samuel, verse 22, verse 16, very shocking story. So you ready to get shocked today? When I used to uh, power lift, weight lift, um, one of the things we did to get us psyched up before a lift is we would get, I wouldn't recommend this, but... This started when I was in college. You get an ammonia capsule and break it and stick it in a bottle. And then somebody would stick that right in your face right before you're ready to lift. And the surge of energy that came through you was shocking. So I'm going to kind of shock you like that today, okay? And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, who is the high priest. And by the way, second in command in the nation of Israel as a high priest. You shall surely die the words of Saul, the king, to Abimelech. You and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priest of the Lord. 
because their hand also is with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. They wouldn't kill the priest. And the king said to Doag, who, by the way, who was a man who was detained with the high priest because he was a criminal, an evil man. And the king said to Doag, because his servants wouldn't strike them down, you turn and kill the priest. So Doag, the Edomite, turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. That means they were priests and descendants of Aaron who were allowed to make sacrifices. Also Nob, that's the city, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, now look at this, children and nursing infants oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword no one of the sons of Elimelech of the sons of Atab named Abiathar escaped no one of the sons um, escaped and fled after David and Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest excuse me not one of the sons so only one son survived all the met priests, all the women, all the children struck down and murdered by the king. Now the question today is, how did it come down to that? How did this man, the king, that started off humble, he was humble, started off well as a king. How did it come to this, where he's murdering women and children and the priest of God in cold blood for no reason except for in his mind and that's the key today it's the mind and the heart you see our minds and our hearts can play tricks on us the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. Now note that. We can be deceived by our hearts very easily. Even as believers, and I don't think Saul was a believer, but even as believers, we have the sin nature in us. The Bible also tells us in that verse that it's our hearts are desperately wicked that's what's inside of us that's what ticks how did this man end up again from being humble to this how did david end up from being a man after god's own heart to kind of wasting time to lusting over a woman to committing adultery and to murdering some of his finest choice soldiers by putting them on the, on, the, on the front lines. How does that happen? You see, the heart of man is desperately wicked. And what you and I need to understand is that, again, is that 
and David was a man after God's own heart, is these things are given to warnings to us. Maybe more practical today is how do we come from being in a happy marriage to a relationship that is on the fringes? How do we um, come from people that want to raise our children from God, for God, to being um, perhaps dictators or the other extreme, completely laid back with our children? How do we have a relationship with family members, mothers or, or brothers or sisters that were once strong that are now uh, nearly uh, so diminished that it's hard to reconcile? How does that happen? Now, before I give you the context, I want you to go, again, I'm giving you all the answers. I want you to go to Psalm chapter 15. And then we'll get the context and see here. You see, Saul, Saul was a man that had a victim mentality, which is very prevalent in our society today. And here's the victim mentality. Something happened to me in the past and because of that, I make excuses for my actions. It could be a very horrible thing. But we are still responsible for our actions. Now, in Psalm 15, verse 1, it says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? In other words, who's the person that has is walking the light. Who's the person that's abiding in Christ? Who's the person in close, intimate fellowship with God? Now look at this. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Sorry, I've, I've got the, um, I'm gonna flip over to ESV. I, I apologize. I've got the New King James up here. Let me read the verse two again in the ESV. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. That is the key. Speaking truth in our heart. Being honest with God. Being honest and taking up ownership for our actions and even our thoughts. If we're going to have a close, intimate relationship with God, we have to evaluate ourselves constantly. That's, that's part of the reason why God gives the Lord's Supper. It's because he's forcing us to evaluate where we're at with him. But we need to do that on a daily basis and even a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Because again, our hearts are desperately wicked. We need to look at, a, at the mirror and be honest with ourselves because we can kid others, but we can't kid ourselves. And this thing that happened with Saul and this thing that happened with David later not in this, this instant, because David was, was blameless here, happens because of a heart that is not honest, a heart that is deceived, a heart that is not evaluating, a heart and a mind that is not in God's word. If we are not in God's word, that's why we gave, I gave this, the, the passages I gave today. Psalm 1, meditate on God's word day and night. What does that mean? It means meditate on God's word day and night. What does the Philippians 4, 8 passage mean? 
It means to keep your mind on those things. Because when our mind begins to drift and our heart begins to drift and somebody has done something to hurt us, or there's a situation that takes place and we're not happy with, how do we process that and what happens inside? Again, this situation with Saul is extreme, but it should be a warning to all of us to keep our hearts right with God and to think right. Now, let's go back to our passage and we're going to have a word of prayer. Then I'm going to give you a context here. So 1 Samuel 22 is our text. 1 Samuel 22. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray today that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us from the word of God. Lord, no doubt, no doubt, we are battling areas today. Our thoughts, there could be hurts, interrelationship problems, things from the past that haunt us. Perhaps some struggle with unforgiveness, maybe bitterness, malice, and hatred right now, today, in this room. And Father, I pray that you will take the word of God and the spirit of God that lies within us will do business in our hearts today. Father, I pray today that we would walk out of this place different people because your word is your love letter to mankind. And you give us these instructions and these stories and guidance to help us because you know that we are prone to wander from the God we love. We are riddled with sin, Lord, more than we know. And we pray that you would purge us and help us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, let's take a look here. We could, all, we, could, we could talk about today, again, a title could be Think Biblically. could also uh, be to um, the consequences of a victim mentality. And let me, let me break that up into two parts. Saul was a victim in his own mind because he didn't take responsibility for his actions, okay? Nothing happened to Saul that caused this. Joseph, on the other hand, was a victim from his brother's hatred but yet he still took responsibilities for his actions, okay? So we can fall into one of two categories. And again, we'll, we'll see how God makes that application to each of us individually. Now, the context here, let's, let's, let's talk about Saul, okay? First Samuel chapter 13, God says to Saul, through Samuel, you don't have to turn there, let me, I'll just sum it up for you. You go to Gilgal and you wait there for seven days 
there's a battle going on with the enemy of the Philistines and you wait there for seven days and you wait until I come. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, the way prophecy worked in the Old Testament, very important for us to understand this, is that there is a short-term prophecy and a long-term prophecy. If the short-term prophecy was fulfilled, then you could bank on the long-term prophecy being fulfilled. And Samuel gave Saul, in 1 Samuel 10, you can read through it, a short-term prophecy that was fulfilled. And then he said, wait seven days at Gilgal till I come. So Saul knew that this would be fulfilled. And yet when he was being attacked by the Philistines and it was a hard situation and people were hiding, right? The, the, the armies were hiding and fleeing. He made a sacrifice to the Lord. He was a Benjamite. He wasn't from Levi. He had no right to do that. And, Saul, and Samuel said to Saul, as a result of that, your posterity will not sit on the throne. It'll be taken away. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel, as a spokesman for God, tells Saul, the Amalekites, who were the enemies of God, they attacked Israel unprovoked in Exodus chapter 17. It was wicked what they did. They attacked the stragglers from behind. And God said, as a result, I want to avenge against the Amalekites. And Saul, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. Okay. Now that sounds harsh and we won't get into all that. We know that God is long suffering and gracious and loving. Okay. Um, but this was his judgment. And Saul partly obeyed, but he saved the king and the best of the livestock. And Samuel said, your kingdom is now torn away from you, and I'm giving it to somebody else. That's where his problem begins. And Saul never repented or took responsibility for that. He blame shifted those things. In fact, when he went to the witch of Endor and Samuel was conjured up, very interesting passage to say the least. He brought up the fact of what happened in Gilgal. That's why God's never speaking to you, because you never got this right. Or excuse me, uh, of what happened with the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Philistines are fighting with, um, or the, Saul is fighting with the Philistines, and that's with David and Goliath, remember? And David steps forward as a young man, probably 15 years old. And he kills Goliath, and as a result, there is a great victory. He brings about a great victory in Israel. In 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan, who was the prince or the heir to the kingdom, takes off his, his royal garb and lays it at the feet of David and says, I recognize you as the next king. And then as they're coming home from this great victory, the women begin to dance and sing. David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. And the Bible says from that day forward, Saul had his eye on David to kill him. You see, it wasn't Saul's fault that this happened. 
he disobeyed. Instead of following the example of Jonathan and recognizing the next king, he sought to hang on to that kingdom. In 1 Samuel 18, two times he tries to kill David. Throws a spear at him. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, he tries to kill David again. In fact, at the end of the passage, he sends soldiers into David's house. And David, by the way, is married to his daughter. So he's a son-in-law. And he tells them to seize him and take him back so he may kill him. And then David begins his outlaw. He's an outlaw now. Running, he didn't do anything wrong. Okay? But Saul is out there trying to kill him. Because... He doesn't want David to take the throne. David flees. He runs to, in chapter 21, he runs to Nob and Ahimelech, the priest. That he has, the priest has no idea what's going on. He has a few men with him. The priest is a little nervous. Why is David here running? He looks disturbed. David asks for food. He gives him the old, the old uh, showbread that was, was to be given to the priest. He gives him the food. He gives him Goliath's sword. David, at this point, is scared to death. He's not in the will of God. David goes from there, from the priest, to Gath, in Philistia, to Achish. And the only way he escapes with his life, he has to act like a madman. And he's hiding. In chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, he is hiding in an area of Judah close to the Philistine border. He's joined by 400 men. Probably many people are family or closely related to family. And they probably flee to David because of they're afraid that Saul is going to kill them. David takes his parents into Moab. You recall that uh, Ruth was his grandmother. So there are probably some connections there. Takes his parents to keep them safe. But he's called out by the prophet to go out of Philistia back into Judah in harm's way. That's where our story picks up. Now, chapter 22, verse 6. The Bible says this. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul is, his goal in life is to chase David and kill him. He thinks by killing David, his problems are solved. And we may have a problem today, right now, when we think by getting rid of that problem, everything else will go well. But not so. But not so. Because as David was led into Judah, into the storm, God oftentimes leads us into the storm. But we can have peace within the storm if we're close to him. So Saul, he discovers, he hears this, and the men who are with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the uh, the teramis tree on the height of his spear in his hand. So he's probably got, he's under the tree. He's got this, probably this um, 
uh, a throne that was, that was, you know, made up, something temporary. He's got a spear in his hands. Why? Because he wants to kill David. And that's, that's all he can think about. And all his servants were standing about him, men of Benjamin. Remember, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, neighbors to, to Judah. He's probably from David. Uh, he's probably a, a couple of days' journey from where David is. But he's got spies all through the land, and they find David. And, and, and by the way, God put him there to be found, which is a whole other story. And Saul said to his servants, who stood about him, Hear now, people, Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? We'll talk about that in a moment. That all of you have conspired against me. I want you to note a couple things. First of all, we talked about a moment ago, but this victim mentality leads to blame. He's blaming David. He's blaming his men. I mean, David's out there. Are we going to get him or not? What are you guys doing? Right? And, he, and, and he's trying to manipulate them as well. The victim mentality leads to that as well. Manipulation, justified to get your way because you're the victim. And he says to them in verse 7 again, people of Benjamin, note that, you're the, from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, the son of Jesse, who the, by the way is from the tribe of Judah, he's a different tribe, give every one of you fields and vineyards. And will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? In other words, I have your best interest, but David does not, which was a complete lie. You could go to chapter 23 uh, in the beginning and see that David heard that this city of Keilah, which is in the Judah territory, was attacked by the Philistines. And he inquired of God and said, should I fight against them, the Philistines? He was taking a massive risk because he was shown his hiding place. But he cared about the people. You can see in 2 Samuel chapter 25, when the coronation of David with not just Judah, but then the other 10 tribes, including Benjamin, which would have been with Judah. But the other tribes at that coronation, they say... Second Samuel chapter five, the first couple of verses, they say that David, we are going to anoint you as king over all the tribes, because even when you were running from Saul for your life, you were a king for us and you cared for us. So what Saul is saying here to the people of Benjamin is that if you help David, you're not going to help yourself because he doesn't care for you. It was a complete lie. It was completely the opposite of what the truth was. He's trying to manipulate him. He's trying to put guilt on them. It's never a way to motivate children by guilt. 
It's never, never a correct way to motivate. And it's something we can fall into as parents, isn't it? We need to be careful of that. Manipulation. So this victim mentality leads to blame and it leads to manipulation. It also leads to paranoia. Look at verse 8. Look what he says. That all of you have conspired against me. What a lie. He's conspired against David. David didn't do anything wrong. These men are faithfully serving alongside. Look what it says now. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. So Jonathan making a covenant with Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait at, as at this day. You know what he was saying? He was saying, Jonathan has stirred up David and David is lying in wait to kill me and you guys don't care. So Saul is hunting David and trying to kill David, but Saul is saying, David is hunting me and trying to kill me. David ne left, never put a finger up to Saul. Every time Saul threw a spear at David and David was a man of war, David fled. But paranoia. You see, when we don't handle situations correctly, go back to the Psalm 15 passage. Who's the person that's staying close to God? The person that speaks truth in his heart. We can begin to think like this. We can think that, that um, people had a conversation and somehow read in a conversation and, and somehow come to conclusions that people are thinking these things against us. A spouse, a friend, a member of church, a child, and begin to get defensive and paranoid against it because we're not processing things right. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, I think we're out in, in verse five in the New King James Version, the rendering is this, is that love thinks the best of people. That doesn't mean we're naive, but that means we never should judge a person's heart. How many years in my ministry have I talked to people and counseled people over and over and said, this is what they are thinking. This is how they perceive me. And I'd say, based on what? Well, I just think you can't judge someone's heart. And we will bring many hurts upon ourselves by doing that. Actions. What people say, yes, and I'll give you another tip. Don't give any credence to what somebody says that somebody said about you. If somebody comes to me and says, people are saying this, I say, I don't want to hear it. Because the Bible says in Matthew 18 that we're to go to the person, or they're to come to me individually. And somehow Saul's mind was tricking him to think that David was trying to kill him. Because he had this victim mentality. And the victim mentality, again, is this, is that things people do and say 
need to be forgiven. We have no excuses to react in the wrong way. And we have to process it. And that sometimes is very difficult. When Joseph forgave his brothers, remember his brothers put him in a dried up well. And wanted to murder him. And if it wasn't for Reuben stepping in, they would have murdered him. Understand that. There's no greater offense than somebody wanting to murder us and actually were going to go through with it. They sold him to slavery, which wasn't much better. But Joseph said, you meant it for evil. When you forgive somebody, you're not saying necessarily, you're not saying what you did was okay. That's not what you're saying. Joseph didn't say what your brothers did was okay. You meant it for evil. What you were doing was evil. What is done to you was evil. But God meant it for good. What good? Always go to Romans 8, 28 to 29. All things work together for good, right? All things work together for good. We oftentimes misunderstand that passage. Because verse 29 says to conform us into the image of Christ. You see, the good that comes out of that evil circumstance is that it can make us more like Jesus Christ if we allow it. Remember when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he was mocked? And he was beaten so bad you couldn't recognize his face? And people were wagging their heads at him and mocking him? And even the, the, the criminals on either side of him were? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I am convinced the criminal that got saved after that, because his heart changed. He was, he was mocking Christ. After that was said is when his heart was touched and he ended up getting saved. Forgiveness is very powerful. Very powerful. And Saul knew nothing of it, and it destroyed him. It also leads to like a pity party. And we can have that, can't we, sometimes? Where we feel sorry for ourselves. I mean, it's amazing to me that this man was chasing David and David did nothing but good to him. But look at verse 8. That all of you have conspired against me. No one disclosed to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me. Mine can play tricks on us, can it? He is trying to murder David for no reason. He has allowed the Philistines, who he was supposed to protect Israel from, he has allowed them to come in and take over territories of Israel because he is consumed with his agenda of murdering David. And he's saying, you should feel sorry for me. That's a victim mentality. And it does us no good, in all fairness. There's times when we struggle with that, and I admit I have been there. But there's nothing that comes good. No, no good comes out of that. And one little remedy I give you is that every day, at the end of the day, when you're lying in bed or in the evening, thank God for 10 things that happened that day. Because a thankful heart will blow that, away, blow that out. 
So it leads to a pity party. And then eventually it leads to habitual hatred in the heart. You see, unforgiveness can lead to bitterness. And bitterness can lead to hatred and malice. And if that's not dealt with, only God knows how incalculable the consequences can be at that point. Because that's what happened here. You see, Saul then would have to find somebody to blame and take out his wrath. Again, his mind not thinking right. The Bible tells us here, as we look down in verse 9, as we read, Then answered Doag the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Doag was out there for his personal gain. Again, he was detained. He was looking to get on Saul's side. It was an opportunity. He didn't tell the whole story. Ahimelech had no idea what was going on. But that's all Saul needed to do. And as we start in verses 11 to 16, you know what happens when there's a habitual hatred. Hatred can creep in, but hatred needs to be confessed and driven out of our hearts. We need to break over that sin. Can't have a place in our hearts at all. The end of Ephesians 4 tells us to get rid of all malice, not to have a bit of malice. It is one thing in our, in our lives if we do something and we offend somebody and it's unintentional. But it's a whole nother thing and, it, and it's a threat of murder when we intentionally try to hurt somebody because that what they did to us or somebody else we love. That processing, that thought process is demonic. It's not of God. Malice and hatred has no place in the heart of the Christian. And when it gets in there, it needs to be driven out immediately and repented of. For our own benefit. Saul's life was ruined because of this. 85 priests and their families were murdered because of this. David had to flee and God had a purpose in it, but David had to run for his life for like 15 years because of this. But as we end, think this, that God used that hardship. David handled himself well with Saul and he used that hardship to make him a man after God's own heart. And the hardship and the difficulty that God has allowed in our lives is to make us like a man after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God and we trust again that you will take it and you'll use it in our lives, Father. Um, offenses, um, evil against us and against our family members, these things are real. But how do we handle it? Lord, you want us to speak truth in our hearts to you. 
we, there's never, there's not one verse of scripture that gives us an excuse to hate somebody or to have a bitter heart towards somebody or to strike against somebody. Not one scripture. Instead, we need to be like Joseph and turn it over to you and see that you have a purpose in it. Always to make us more like Christ. So, Father, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support, and we hope you have a God-blessed day.